Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Teddy. I don't know if anyone uh, was, was doing what I was doing during the reading of that psalm, which was uh, to think of how many songs were in the midst of that. I, I like, so I, can't, I counted at least seven, I think. I don't know. They were all running through my head. But anyway, I want to I wanna thank you guys for, for being here. If you want to turn in your Bibles to, to, to the book of Luke, um, we are still going to be uh, walking to the cross this Palm Sunday. And this is a, an incredibly important thing for us to do as we head into Holy Week, as we continue this, this process through Easter of walking to the cross, because as Jesus walks to the cross, we're following him. And as we follow Jesus to the cross, we watch what he does, and we anticipate what he does, and we learn from what he does, because those are the things that we ought to do as well. The, that's the way discipling and discipleship worked in the ancient world. You followed a rabbi or a teacher, and as they did what they did, you would learn to do those things as well. And um, this wasn't working earlier. So we are, uh, so we are going to continue through this. And, and we've talked about uh, how uh, when Jesus was going to the to the cross, he did on his way there. He did three things primarily. He he taught. He teaches, he heals, and he connects. And we talked about these in reverse order. We talked about connecting, and we talked about last week about healing, and how about and how our job in accordance with other people's healing is to bring and to come to Jesus for healing, that Jesus is the source of our healing, and that we declare and we expect healing to happen, that there is going to be change and transformation in people's lives and in their physical bodies, and we're not going to get in the way of other people's healing. Is a a big problem for religious people throughout from, from biblical times to today is that, is that people begin to experience healing and transformation and it doesn't happen in a way that we like, so we, we, we get in the way of it. And that's one thing that we're going to avoid. And now we're going to go to what is possibly the most dangerous thing to discuss as we follow Jesus to the cross is that Jesus teaches. And, and this is a, a, a dangerous sermon because I'm going to try and condense Jesus' teaching into, into something that is as useful and, and usable in one sermon. And that's dangerous because it's, it, it's dangerous to try and condense the teaching of Jesus because we try, as we try and condense the teaching of Jesus, it's very easy to, to then limit or diminish the teaching of Jesus. And that's not what we want to do in any way. So we don't want to make the teaching of Jesus smaller, but we also don't want to, and this is a very common thing, end up casting the teaching of Jesus in our own reflection, where, where we interpret the teaching of Jesus in such a way that he just says all of the things that we want to say anyway. And, and, and if you're curious as to what this looks like, this is very, very common. I did a simple cursory search on Amazon of books about the teachings of Jesus, and I just put like, Jesus, something ridiculous. I tried to think of something ridiculous. Jesus plus something ridiculous. And pretty easily came up, you can buy the book, How to Sell Like Jesus. Jesus will teach you to turn all your leads into 
and always be closing. That's what Jesus will help you do. You can also get Jesus fashion. I don't know what that looks like. I think it mostly involves robes. That would be my guess is that, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop with those things. It can keep, it can, it, there, there's more of them. There's the Jesus diet. There are like 700 Jesus diet books. And I can tell you right now, he mostly ate what everyone else ate in the ancient Near East at the time. It was food, not too much, mostly plants. That's what Jesus ate. Uh, but not, you, you, I mean, you don't want to just have the, the diet. You also need the, 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 the oh, there's another, what, did, what would Jesus eat? Really capitalizing on. But you also have to have the Jesus workout. Like, you can't have just the diet. You also need to have the Jesus workout, which I'm assuming mostly involves walking and carpentry, right? Like that. Yeah, I guess. I, 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 I don't remember the, like, I've. I have a degree in biblical studies. I spent most of the last 20 years uh, studying the Bible. I don't remember the passages about repelling, but that doesn't mean that I'm interpreting the Bible correctly. I'm willing to be proved wrong in that. This is my personal favorite of all time, uh, Jesus the Ultimate Compassionate Samurai. I don't know how that works. I don't know where that came from. I have nothing against samurais. Um, it's a beautiful... Tradition. What I love is that this guy commissioned someone to paint Jesus. You can't really tell, but that's a katana sword, which I, you can't make, the, I'm a professional comedian. If I made this up, I would be like, ah, oh, that's too on the nose. Like, that's too ridiculous. No, this is a real person. So there's no shortage of people trying to condense the teachings of Jesus and finding the teachings of Jesus just looking exactly like what they want them to look like. And there's no shortage of people trying to use the teachings of Jesus and package them in such a way for their own gain or their own, uh, or, and their own profit. And I'm sure a lot of these people, I'm sure most of these people are very well-meaning. And I'm sure most of these people uh, have some things that are valuable to say in these books. But the reality is um, that, 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 that this, isn't, <laughs> this isn't the gospel, right? And that following Jesus isn't about turning us all into proper samurai, right? I think samurai is the plural of samurai. I could be, you know, I, something else is going on. And, and so, but there is... So all of these people are trying to condense the teachings of Jesus and, 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 and use them to, with other people and, and get them to do something in their lives. And, the, and as much as these people get wrong, and it's very wrong, I mean, it's just wrong, you know? Like, as much as it's wrong, there's something that they get right that is very important. That we are not only to listen to the teachings of Jesus, but we're also supposed to teach others the teachings of Jesus. What these people get right is their innate desire to, to, to hear. They've heard something that has changed their lives. And because they've heard something that has changed their lives, they want to share that with others. And I want us to, to embrace this idea as well, that we don't just hear the teachings of Jesus for our own benefit. But it is important for us that as we hear the teachings of Jesus and as we benefit from the teachings of Jesus, that we also share those with others. We're supposed to imitate the actions of Jesus. And so as we imitate the actions of Jesus, we also teach those are, that are around us. That is the expectation of disciples, is that they reproduce the teaching of Jesus. It's not intended to stop at us. It's intended to go past us. And if you're feeling that that is too much, if you're feeling that that is, is improper or too difficult for you to do, I would challenge you and say, you do this all the time. You reproduce teachings. You share good news about things all the time. Okay, we just do this. My, how many people here have an instant pot? Right? Lots of people love their instant pots. And the reason why the instant pot became pot, two years ago, nobody had an instant pot. Now everybody has an instant pot, or has at least heard of the, about the instant pot. Because somebody got an instant pot and shared the good news of the, of the instant pot, because that's what you do with, with, when you have good news. 
all of you, when you find a great deal on something, that it's like this couch was the cheapest and most amazing couch that I've ever, you share that with the people around you. If you find the best pizza in Edmonton, which is Tony's Pizza down on 111th Avenue uh, and 97th Street, when you find the best pizza in town, you share the best pizza in town with everybody else because that's what human beings do. We are sharers of good news. It is not unusual for us to then expect that the same way that we would share the good news of temporary improvements, of, of the, the, how you know you're, you're, the Instant Pot can turn a baseball glove into stew in four hours, or how you know Tony's Pizza is that, that perfect combination of spiciness and, and, and fattiness that makes pizza wonderful. When we find good news that only matters temporarily, we should also be sharing the good news that matters for eternity. Human beings are good news sharing machines and we ought to do this. Whether we have a, a, a deal or an instant pot or a workout plan, we need to share the good news about that thing. So we not only listen to the teaching of Jesus, but we share the teaching of Jesus with each other. And now we, come, now we get to the very dangerous part, which is what is the teaching of Jesus? What is the thing that we're supposed to be sharing? What is the crux of the message that we're supposed to be sharing? I feel very confident in this because the book of Luke tells us what Jesus told his disciples to teach as he sent them out. In Luke 9, it says this, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So the primary message, the primary teaching that he is sending them with is to proclaim the kingdom of God. He gives them tools to use. He gives them power and authority to drive out all demons. He gives them the ability to cure diseases. But then he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And it's interesting that that is what Jesus was doing as well. Jesus' first message when he arrives, the first teaching that Jesus gives as he steps up, as he steps out to begin his public ministry, is to say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Change your life because the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is, so we are called to proclaim the kingdom of God. And this is very fascinating and it's incredibly important because it's so easy for us to get this wrong because what we're called to proclaim and what we're called to teach is not a set of behaviors. Although embracing the reality that the kingdom of God is at hand is going to have severe and drastic implications for our behaviors, it's not primarily a theological system. Although the fact that the kingdom of God is at hand and is coming is going to have drastic implications for what, how we think theology. It's not even religious. Although understanding that the kingdom of God is at hand is going to have drastic implications for the way that we live out the life together, which is what the word religion means in Latin, to bind together. This is going to have massive implications for the way that we do all those things but it's not primarily a message of theology it's not primarily a message of religion it's not primarily a message of behavior change the message is that the kingdom is coming and it's at hand and i think one of the things that we need to understand about the ancient world is that they lived under an empire the roman empire at the time of jesus controlled all of the world from the ancient near east from what is currently what we consider the middle east all the way through to spain and that was their rule. And information traveled slowly at the time, but, but there would be changes. And there was one ruler in Rome who controlled this entire area. And when a new emperor came into power, like one did in 14 AD by the name of Tiberius Caesar, messengers would be set, sent throughout the kingdom, to pro, would be sent throughout the empire to proclaim the kingdom of Tiberius Caesar. And they would say, the kingdom of Tiberius Caesar is at hand. And they would announce that, there was, this was, that Tiberius Caesar was going to bring in a new reign of peace and prosperity. And that there would be comfort for the downtrodden. And that, and that peace and prosperity were going to enter in. And that the, the reign of Tiberius Caesar would, would, would last forever. Now, of course, it didn't. Because the reign of Tiberius Caesar ended uh, in 37 AD with his murder. But that's the way most empires ended at that time. But Jesus steps in and says, proclaim this kingdom. 
Rather than proclaiming the rule of Tiberius Caesar, Jesus steps in and says, there is a new kingdom arriving and it is going to be a kingdom run by God himself, that the new ruler is God himself, that God is entering in to live amongst his people, and that is the new reign. What Jesus is telling his, his, his disciples to proclaim is that the people and the institutions that you believe are in control of this world are not in control of this world. And the forces that you believe are controlling your destiny now and for eternity are not in control. And that the kingdom of Tiberius Caesar may be reigning now, and the kingdom of the religious leaders and the kingdom of Herod and the kingdom of, of all of these military officials may be reigning now, but it's not going to be reigning forever because the kingdom of God is at hand. And it's really important for us to grasp this reality that, that when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, the people were hearing a drastic political message that wasn't only about their politics but affected every single aspect of their lives, everything that they were fearful of, everything that they were concerned about, everything that mattered to them on a day-to-day -day basis was changed by the fact that God was going to be in charge of the world in which they lived. And it's easy for us to think that we're so different. It's easier for, easy for us to think that, that, that that's a world so far removed that we couldn't possibly understand it. But we have to understand that, that the people of Israel, when they heard the message that the kingdom of God is at hand, they were equally as concerned or more concerned about Tiberius Caesar than you are about whatever political leader you happen to dislike right now. And i got to be honest, I see a lot of your social media feeds, and I'm not checking up on you. I don't really care that much. But I know that, I know that a lot of you are very concerned about Justin Trudeau. And some of you are very concerned about Rachel Notley. And some of you are very concerned about Jason Kenney. And some of you are very concerned about Donald Trump. And some of you are concerned about all of them. And some of you are concerned about... Facebook, and some of you are concerned about Google, and some of you are concerned that Elon Musk might turn out to be some sort of evil supervillain that Superman has to take down. Some of you are concerned. Some of you are concerned about Walmart. Some of you are concerned about all sorts of different political figures, political figures, and and corporate figures. And and I've also I've also seen people. I've also, I also saw, and not just you guys, but everybody else, I saw the way that people celebrated the end of the reign of the Empire of Harper and brought in and announced the kingdom of Trudeau as if it was going to be this new era of peace and prosperity and comfort for, the, for, for those lost, when in reality it was just another politician. And I saw the way the people heralded the, the coming of, of, uh, of President Donald Trump as either the worst thing that ever happened to humanity, which was going to lead us immediately into Stone Age destruction and, and a battle of all against all, or it was going to usher in this brand new area where the market is suddenly going to be free to do what the market does, which I don't know what the market does. Some people believe in the market the way that I believe in Jesus. I don't know how that works, but... They were e eagerly proclaiming the end of one kingdom and ushering in a new kingdom. And as much as you are concerned about whatever politician or corporate figure that you happen to dislike right now, the people of Israel were more concerned about Tiberius Caesar. Because Tiberius Caesar would enforce his rule with murdering people. Large groups of them all at once. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, you know what, that kingdom doesn't really matter that much. You know what's important? You know what's coming? You know what's at hand? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is going to be coming here very soon and get ready for it. And they were every bit as concerned as you that not just their customs and their ways of lives, but their very existence w w was at risk. And Jesus announces in the midst of that, don't worry, the kingdom of God is at hand. Don't worry, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that becomes the message that we carry as well. That becomes the message that I proclaim here as well. Because I see your social media feeds, not just you, but and I see and I hear the anxiety and the fear and the frustration and the, and the anger that comes out of so many people. And I'm here to tell you, not because I believe this, I need to hear this too, but because the Bible says it, don't worry. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
So don't worry about the powers that exist in this world because they are all temporary. Don't worry if they murder you. Don't worry if they tax you. Don't worry if they imprison you. Don't worry if they make a change the wording on forms to a thing that you don't like or agree with. Because none of that matters. The kingdom of God is at hand. And that is what is going to last now and for eternity. So don't worry about it. Tiberius Caesar reigned from 14 AD to 37 AD. When he was proclaimed emperor of Rome, people said that this was a reign that was going to last forever. I had to look his name up on Wikipedia. None of you remember his name. Some of you might, but most of you don't. Because he's just another figure throughout history that mattered for a short period of time and went away. And now the kingdom of God is at hand just as much now as it was then. Everybody was just, there were people in this country who were just as worried about the incoming leadership of Prime Minister Arthur Meehan. Do any of you remember who Arthur Meehan was? So probably it's not going to matter that much. Do not worry about it. The kingdom of God is at hand. That doesn't mean that we don't work to change the world in which we live. I want to be really, really clear about that. But we don't worry. And that's why Jesus said, and don't worry, the kingdom of, don't worry if things are not going the way that you want them to go. Don't worry about the people that are, that are threatening you and oppressing you because the kingdom of God is at hand. So we live in, under the implications of that rule. And the implications of the rule of God is that we are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Because he is deeply involved in our world. Because he is moving now in and among us to change the world. So we love him because he is working in and among us. Because we have not been abandoned here. And we love our neighbors as ourselves. Why? Because we don't have to be at war with our neighbor. There's nothing you can take from me that can't be given to me by God. There's nothing that I am lacking that isn't being provided for by God. So I don't have to be at war with my neighbor. I don't have to push my neighbor down. I don't have to push him or her down. I don't have to be concerned about their escalation or de-escalation. I can trust that God is looking after me. And we heal. We heal diseases. We heal emotionally. We heal our hearts, because that is a foreshadowing of the kingdom that is coming, because in God's kingdom, there is no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain. We heal because it's a foreshadowing of the coming kingdom. We connect. Jesus goes about healing. Jesus goes about connecting. We connect to everyone that we meet as a foreshadowing of the kingdom that is coming, because there is not a single person who exists who is outside of the kingdom of God. Regardless of ethnicity, regardless of economic viability, regardless of, of, of actions that they've taken or undertaken, regardless of anything, disability, there is nothing that excludes people from the kingdom of God. So we connect with everybody because we're not afraid of them and because we love them and we recognize that they are fellow citizens and heirs to the same kingdom that we have been given. Understanding that the kingdom of God is at hand, that all of the people that we think are in charge, all of the people that we think are in control don't matter, and what the one who matters is God, changes the consequences of what we believe. And it changes, the, the, it changes not only the content of our message, but it changes the way that we deliver our message. Because I grew up in sort of an evangelical tradition, which I have a ton of respect for, but what was not taught but what I interpreted was that was that I needed everyone that I told the good news to to agree with me and if they didn't agree with me then there was a fault in my good news there was something wrong with the news that I was sharing because they didn't get it and 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 also so then so then the person who didn't believe in the good news in the same way that I did didn't become a didn't remain a brother or sister who just wasn't on the same page that I was, they became an enemy who was opposing the things that I was trying to do. But when we understand that our job is to announce the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter whether or not you agree. It didn't matter whether or not you agreed that Tiberius Caesar was going to be reigning over, over, over the Roman Empire. You could disagree with it all you want. He was still going to be in charge. 
you can be mad. You can you can say that I'm foolish or stupid for for tell for announcing the reign of of Tiberius Caesar, but that doesn't ultimately affect the content of the message. And the same thing exists when we when we announce the kingdom of God. When we announce that the kingdom of God is at hand, people are going to be like, "Well, that's a dumb, silly, ancient myth." But who cares? You can say the sky's green all you want. It's not going to change the color of it. You can say that the kingdom of God is not at hand all you want. It doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. And God's will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are called to align our lives with that. That's how it changes our behavior. But it starts with this deep uh, ingrained reality that all of the forces that we think control our world do not. God is in control. And the kingdom of God is in no way affected by my participation or non-participation in it. And we see how Jesus proclaims this when he gets to Luke 12. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It's been given to us. So all of the things that we're worried about, all of the things that I'm worried about, are we going to have enough square footage for our family? Is the muffler going to fall off of my van before we have the opportunity to get a different vehicle? All of those things that concern me. Are my kids going to be reasonably accepted in their schools? All of those things that concern me, they don't matter because we've been given a kingdom. Because no matter where I stand economically, no matter where I stand in the, in the esteem of you guys or the, or, the, or the world at large, I am the heir to a kingdom which is coming and is at hand. So, as a result, you know what the result of this is? I can sell the van, I can sell the house and give it all to the poor. It doesn't matter. I don't have to worry about anything. Now, to be honest, just to clarify, I'm not selling the van. The van's... I would probably have to give the van away at this point in time. It would be <laughs> a burden for someone else. Sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. So that, we, so that no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is a danger that exists for Christians as well. And I see it happening all around us. And the danger, and, and I'm, I succumb to this as well, and the danger is that we get so invested in the way things are. We get so invested in the rulers who exist in this world. We get so satisfied with the way things are. We get so satisfied with the way that the world is currently being run that we don't eagerly anticipate and eagerly look for and work towards the coming of the kingdom of God. Where your treasure is, where your heart, there your heart is also. We have been designed as disciples of Jesus that we will not be contented in this world as it is. If we are satisfied in this world as it is, we are probably in danger. Because it is not what we have been called to. And our hope is not found in changing our political allegiances. Our hope is not found in succeeding more and making more money. Our hope is not found in getting a couple extra hundred square feet or a brand new truck. Our hope is found in Jesus and his coming kingdom. And we ought to make sure that our hearts are, set, are bent and, and are looking for and set upon those things that will not wear out, those things that will last forever. And I'm, I'm going to be really honest with you, I am not good at this. I'm proclaiming it relatively passionately. But I know in my heart of hearts, there are definitely times when I want what this world has to offer more than I want what I know is best for me now and for eternity. And I think that you are as well. But this challenge is for us to embrace this rule that what is at the heart and the foundation of what we are and who we are as human beings is that we live under the rule of God before we live under the rule of any political or corporate manufactured reality. We live under the rule of God and we work towards that with other people. So the challenge as we go to the cross as we go into this holy week where we will see Jesus demonstrate 
in every single way the way that this world works. Because over the next seven days, we will see Jesus become a threat to the world as it is in both its religious makeup and its political makeup. And as he becomes a threat to that world, they will do everything in their power to destroy him. And for a brief moment next Friday, it's going to look like they won. It's going to look like Jesus has been crushed, that his body has been broken, that his blood has been shed, and that he's going to be locked in a tomb away forever, and things will just continue as they have been forever and ever and ever. And hail Caesar, and hail all the corporations, and hail all of the powers of this world. But what we're looking for next Sunday is that on April Fool's Day this year, which is one of the most beautiful coincidences, on April Fool's Day, all that gets turned around. Jesus said, and Jesus experiences the full power of the state, feels the full power of the religious establishment, and has victory over it. And his response in that is not to go out and crush his opponents, but to respond with love and grace for those who would hear this new message. That's what we've been called to as well. So let us live in that as we head through this week. Let us truly live in the kingdom that God has made for us as heirs of his kingdom and valuing what God values now and for eternity. Let's pray. God, we thank you that on this Palm Sunday as you as we remember that you walked, you rode into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey, as the poorest of the poor through palm fronds in your path, that even as that happened, the empire was shaken to its core. And we ask that we would be people who shake the empire to its core as well, not because of our strength, not because of our power, not because of our great might, but because of our our stubborn allegiance to your kingdom overall. Our stubborn belief that you are working now and for eternity, that your salvation is what truly matters, and that we are stubbornly storing up treasures in heaven where moths and rust will not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. More so than we are storing up treasures on earth, which props up life as it is and as it has always been. Help us to live in your world. Help us to be so consumed by the reality of your world that we recognize all of the ways that this world is lying to us about what is important and who matters and how we get what we want. Help us to live in that reality and be framed by it because we know that that is the reality that is coming. And that wave of your justice, that wave of your peace, that wave of your kingdom is going to crash over this world and change it uh, irrevocably. And we want to be in line and ready and eagerly anticipating what you're doing. So help us to do that. We ask this in the name of uh, of your son, Jesus. Amen. So as we gather at this table, we remember the Lord's death. And in the Lord's death, he sacrificed himself experiencing the full weight of all we could or or might experience at the hands of the world as it is. And he took that willingly on our behalf. So, and, and in that sacrifice, that that way that the world thought that it would ensure that things would just go on as they had always gone on. In that act, Jesus turns the tables and works out our salvation. So as we come to this table, we remember that his body was broken for us. We remember that his blood was shed for us. And we remember that all of this happened and that there is victory on the other side of it. This table is open to anyone who would come and see the grace and the salvation that is found in Jesus. And, uh, and we would ask that, that as you come forward, we will take a couple of moments to add, just ask ourselves a question and prepare our hearts 
for what kingdom have we been hoping for? As we come to this table, we ask that the Holy Spirit would change us so that we eagerly anticipate his kingdom. But we also repent of the fact that we have been praying for our kingdom to come. And we ask that our hearts would be changed because of it. So we'll take a, a, a minute or so in silent prayer.